If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's day two of our new weekday version of This Week in the CLE podcast, where the news team at cleveland.com talks about all things coronavirus. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn, and I'm joined by editors Jane Cahoon and Laura Johnston and reporter Emily Bamforth. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi. How can two coronavirus prediction models based on mathematics paint such different visions of Ohio a month from now? We published a story Monday out of the University of Washington, which has used scientific modeling to predict how the coronavirus will play out in every state. In New York and Michigan, things look bad. But in Ohio, the prediction is that we will have more than enough hospital and ICU beds to deal with the number of cases. It predicts a peak of April 18th. But Laura Johnston and Jane Cahoon, you were both involved in this story, and Ohio health officials are using other models, which predict a much more ugly future. Laura, you go first. What is this study out of Washington? Okay, so this study comes from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. And Ohio, according to them, is one of nine states where modeling shows that the coronavirus won't overwhelm our ICUs and hospitals or a number of ventilators. Um, It predicts that Ohio's coronavirus cases will peak at the same time as the state predicts, uh, but it'll have about um, 3,900 hospital beds needed, 585 of them in the ICU, and we'll need about 468 ventilators. Um, the state, like I said, has stated the same peak data, but it's using Ohio State and Cleveland Clinic projections um, that are much more dire. I talked to some mathematicians, uh, Akron U and Case Western Reserve University. They weren't surprised by the different projections because there are so many unknowns with the coronavirus, but um, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. I'm I'm still hoping to talk to the University of Washington people. Jane, why isn't Dr. Amy Acton, the Ohio Health Director, embracing this good news? Well, she's not embracing it, but she's not outright dismissing it either. In fact, she complimented the University of Washington. She said it was one of her favorite places to get uh, her data from. But she did bring up several caveats, such as the length of time people are hospitalized and, you know, it could be like 20 days and then, you know, they could have cases pile upon cases. And um, so she just kind of brought up these variables. And but but one thing, (laughs) you know, on Friday, they were talking about tripling hospital capacity in Ohio. And on Monday, they were talking about doubling it. So, you know, I think that they're looking at this and it's made some some impression on them. I don't get it, though. I mean, th- this is based on math, right? And they're both dealing with whatever data is available. It's, it, this is not some esoteric tea leave reading thing. There's basic data out there. Number of people have been infected so far, the practices that are in place. So, so I don't see how they're using, you know, vastly different ingredients. 
I have a hard time understanding how something based on uh, conclusive mathematics can have such a wild diversion in the prediction. I mean, in one, it's Armageddon. In the other, peace in the land. It's hard to well, understand. And the, the Washington study did show Armageddon in a bunch of states. Um, the Don Husted, the lieutenant governor, actually threw this out there. And I it just it's a one liner. He said, you know, that study was using statistics and the other studies were using epidemiology. But when I pose this question to the professors I talked to, they're like, well, epidemiology uses statistics. I yeah, mean, that's, that's, that's I, just I, so I do not crap. understand that right. statement. And I don't know that he understood what he was throwing out there either. But um, like I said, I have questions into the University of Washington. One of the unknowns is, you know, how how contagious, how many people actually have it because we don't know the testing. Um, but both uh, the clinic and OSU told us last night, and they said this has nothing to do with the Washington study, but we're going to give you more details coming out soon about how we came up with our models, which, okay. I, I think I think one reason they're not embracing this is they're worried that if we start thinking, oh, we're okay, we'll stop the social distancing. There was a major theme on Facebook last night from people that were criticizing us for running this story for that reason. I and got it's like, some emails too. Yeah, what, yeah. What, is, what is wrong with you people? Would you rather be ignorant of the facts? I mean, our job is to make sure we have an educated populace, but these people were basically arguing we should keep everyone dumb and ignorant so that, that we can't confuse the message. Boggles my mind and we're not going to stop publicizing it. Actually, I'm hoping, Laura, you have success today in getting more details. It's I, I, this week. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I'm it's, good. It's this week in the CLE from Cleveland.com. Which part of Ohio has the most coronavirus cases per capita? Cleveland.com's Rich Exner, our longtime data guru, drilled down into the daily Ohio coronavirus numbers a bit deeper and came up with an interesting finding. Greater Cleveland has six of the top 10 counties for per capita coronavirus infection. Until now, we've looked mostly at totals for each county, but looking at it per capita shows how much the virus has permeated each county. Jane Cahoon, you were the editor on this story. What were some of the findings? Well, Rich determined that there are 16.5 confirmed cases per 100,000 people in Ohio overall. But the rates are, are more than double that in, in Cuyahoga, where it's 39.9, and Mahoning is 51.2. Uh, it's also uh, much higher than the average in, the, um, in Medina, Lorraine, and Geauga counties as well. So the truth is, though, this could pretty much all be meaningless. Uh, Rich had a caveat in there about testing that that the Northeast Ohio area, because of its hospitals, may have just been doing a lot more testing. And so it has a greater percentage of people that have it who've been found out. Is it possible that a lot of this data we're looking at right now is, is really not that helpful because of such sporadic testing? Well, yes, that is quite possible. Testing is really limited in certain parts of the state. And as you said, you know, the Cleveland hospitals were among the first to launch their own testing. So I think we've had a lot more up here. I'm Chris Quinn, and you're listening to This Week in the CLE. How do I sanitize cardboard boxes delivered by Amazon.com to make sure they are not contaminated by the coronavirus? 
My wife yelled at me over the weekend because I put a box from Amazon on the kitchen counter to open it. She said I was spreading the coronavirus. People who subscribe to my text messages at cleveland.com have been messaging me questions about whether boxes from Amazon or anywhere else are safe. They want to know how to protect themselves. Emily Bamforth, now we know. You reported this story. So uh, as we know, and can probably chant by now, uh, preliminary research is showing that the virus can live up to one day on cardboard and two to three days on plastic, which is entirely problematic for package deliveries. I spoke with Shanina Knighton, a fantastic nurse and researcher at Case Western Reserve University, and she said there are multiple points in the delivery chain where people could be touching that uh, delivery where they could be sick. So it's not machines in these warehouses putting these packages together and despite best practices maybe somebody sneezes um so it's really kind of simple it's not something i've really done actually with my deliveries but i might be doing now uh it's as simple as cleaning the packaging you can do that outside uh you can wipe down the box and then bring it inside or you can discard the box outside uh, if you bring it inside, uh, you should pick a surface that you regularly disinfect. Just maybe pick a specific counter to put your box down on, and that way you know where you've put it. Um, you can wipe the packaging, and then when you get it out, uh, whatever item it is, there's often another layer. So you would wipe that as well. And then, of course, you would wash your hands. That's a big one. The big thing is uh, that Naiden said was this is making us all very aware of how infection spreads and what we're touching just generally. Uh, So if you're touching a bunch of doorknobs on the way into the house, maybe clean those off. Uh, It's just being very, very aware of uh, what pieces could be contaminated and how you might be spreading it. Well, when my wife gave me hell, I was kind of rolling my eyes. And then I sent her your story last night. She came down, hands on the hips. So I was right. (laughs) Let me me ask you this, though. Um, The the cardboard test was obviously done in a lab. So Amazon drops a box off on my front porch. It's it's a more hostile environment. Is the likelihood lesser that it'll be infected? Is Is the danger more from the stuff that's inside the box that the Amazon worker who might have the coronavirus put into the box while they were not protecting themselves or or wearing a mask so it's so once I get into the box I really need to be cognizant of the surfaces there I mean yes the virus could interact with sunlight in a different way than we think or air or that kind of thing and on top of that the half-life might be affected by a number of factors so that virus could die off a lot faster um but I spoke with uh, Nine about this. I said, hey, is this kind of overblown? Do we need to even worry about wiping off these boxes? And she was basically saying, we, we don't know, but it's best to be safe. And following these hygiene practices aren't something that is going to disrupt your life entirely. So if you can just take a Lysol wipe and, uh, or a Clorox wipe and just quickly wipe off that box. It's it's just an extra step that you can take to have some peace of mind. We're all going to be germaphobes before this is over. <laughs> <laughs> like, anyway, it's this week in the CLE. 
Should we all be wearing masks to halt the coronavirus? Should we be making and sewing masks at home to protect ourselves from the coronavirus? Cleveland.com's Jane Cahoon sent us all a great video from the Czech Republic about wearing masks. The gist of it is that we should all wear them all the time we're outside. If we all did, none of us could unknowingly spread the virus. I've thought all along the advice to people not to wear masks was bogus. Nurses and doctors would not wear them if there was not good reason. So Jane, where did you find this video? Who made it and why? Well, my nephew in Florida sent me the video and I, I almost cast it aside and then I decided to to look at it in the middle of the workday. And as you said, it was from the Czech Republic. And I think maybe he sent it because that's the country of our family's ancestry. But it, it showed a young woman very clearly making the case um, and wanting to share what they've been doing in the Czech Republic to help other countries slow the spread of this virus, which is wearing a mask every time you go out in public. And, you know, even a low-tech DIY fabric face mask. Um, and, you know, I, I've read all the stuff about masks. I knew this, but it, it really struck a chord just the way they, they presented it about, you know, I protect you, you protect me, because these masks have been shown to prevent people from spreading the disease. So if I sneeze or cough, and what if I'm asymptomatic? I'm walking around with this virus, spreading it all over the place unknowingly, and um, these masks can really, really prevent that. So they started this big social media campaign and they got people making them and giving them away. And um, as I said, it's like, I protect you, you protect me. Yeah, I, uh, we'll, we'll get to the, the, the part about it stops it from spreading versus protecting me in a minute. We ended up having a pretty big discussion about this, about all of us making our own masks. And unlike our previous viral story about making masks, which was for, for nurses and doctors. This is more about making them for ourselves and our friends and our neighbors. So how hard is that? Can any bozo with a sewing machine do this? Cleveland.com reporter Emily Bamforth is putting together a story on this. Emily, what do you know so far? Uh, as a bozo without a sewing machine, um, might be a little difficult for me. But uh, it's not really difficult for anybody who knows how to sew or knows how to operate a sewing machine. What you need is sturdy material, wire, and elastic. Uh, there are multiple patterns online, and anybody who knows someone who sews knows that if you give somebody who sews a pattern, they're set. Uh, but if you don't have a sewing machine, there do seem to still be some options. Um, some people suggest bandanas. Some people suggest that you can make it out of some wire and an old t-shirt. Uh, this will require a little bit more investigation. But the only problem I can see with that is that the more difficult part of all of this is handling those masks correctly. If you don't handle the mask correctly, it's, it's, there's no real point um, because you're trying to contain the spread of germs. But if you say have a bandana on your head and it's tied and it falls off and you're picking it up off the ground or it falls and, and spreads germs everywhere, why would you even wear it if that makes sense? So it's just about making them sturdy and just making sure they stay in place. And you're also not adjusting them all the time because if you're adjusting them, you're touching your face, you're touching the mask, and you could spread some germs that way. 
I, uh, after the conversation yesterday, I went and looked at probably 20 different videos and step-by-step -step things, and I found them confusing as hell. I, I did see one on hand sewing. Uh, I'm a woodworker. When I look up woodworking stuff, it's always so clear, but this stuff was anything but clear. Let's mix it up a little bit. The Washington Post is reporting today that the CDC is now considering recommending masks for all. This would be infuriating because, of course, over and over and over again, health officials have said the public needs no masks. And I've been on the record for months calling BS on that. You all know it. You've all rolled your eyes at me at some <laughs> point or another. It never made sense to me. Why would doctors and nurses wear them? And don't give me that stuff about its real purpose is to keep me from spreading it. The crisis call across this country for masks is to protect the doctors and nurses, which is to keep them from getting infected. But every time we did a story, public health officials said we don't need them. I, I just, if it turns out that was all misinformation to stop people from running, running up the masks, it's infuriating. They should have just been truthful to people from the start. What do you think, Jane? Well, I agree. It is infuriating, infuriating these mixed messages. You know, all I know is that my sewing machine is broken now, but I really want to find a way to get a mask because I really want to wear one in, in public all the time now. And it, it is, it's just maddening that they didn't tell us this in, in the first place. I mean, what's the harm? I, I, I read a column by uh, someone in the Washington Post saying, you know, when the HIV crisis happened, they didn't tell people to stop using condoms. And when we had fatal crashes, they didn't tell people to stop wearing seatbelts. I mean, what what well, is the harm in this? Well, and what they could have done, they could have said, look, people, the, the, the N95 masks that doctors and nurses use are in short supply. We really, really need them to be gathered up for doctors and nurses who are on the front lines. But... But for most people, a standard cotton twill mask will, will do the trick. So here are patterns. You, if you know people that have sewing machines work together, it's a good idea. But they didn't do that. They just they kept saying, don't get them. I mean, I remember, I think, Emily, you did the first story on this. And I remember you coming back saying, no, no, the public health officials say you don't need them. And we were on a podcast in February. And I said, that's crap. I don't buy it. I uh, I think that this is something that many reporters in the newsroom have gone back to try and figure out. And it's something that even this morning I've seen, I'm seeing more and more headlines about this. Uh, I will play devil's advocate for a second, though. The first thing that came up in our, our chat about this was another person on the staff bringing up the Amazon page and asking which N95 to buy even though he knew the situation. So I'm going to go ahead and say that there could have been better messaging on this for sure. But like even that small example goes to show that people, if they're told the mask will work, will go out and try and buy the most expensive mask possible. But, but Emily, the governor stood up <laughs> in his first briefing and said, hey, let's show solidarity. Let's fly U.S. flags. And they went up right. all over. I put mine up within an hour of that of that call. If, right. if the government would have come out and, you know, done that World War II kind of a spirit to core stuff and said, look, America, we need sewers to make masks. We think we think cloth masks are a good idea for Americans. Let's use our gumption and make them. They would have. I mean, it's right. this is a distrust of the Americans. It's 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 one of those where you just sit back and think you should trust. people. It's like. No, it's just, it's a misinformation thing. Anyway, good conversation. I'm Chris Quinn, and you're listening to This Week in the CLE.
Can I get the coronavirus by walking outside on a sidewalk where lots of other people were walking? Does the coronavirus hang in the air outside? I posed a question to the subscribers on my subtext account Friday. That's a text messaging service we have where I send out a couple of messages about what we're thinking in the newsroom and people send me lots of questions and, and suggestions. I noticed dozens of people were walking down the sidewalk through the day because the weather was nice. And I wondered how, if the virus can survive for three hours in the air, can I get the coronavirus by walking down my sidewalk? Now, when I pose that question, I expect a whole bunch of people to message me back that I'm a moron, but they only got a couple of those. The huge majority of the responses were from people who had been wondering the exact same thing. Cleveland.com's Laura Johnston got the answer, and it was good news, although we do have a new wrinkle. Laura, what's the good news first? So we talked to doctors who explained that the virus uh, in this study was manipulated in the lab to be aerosolized. Um, and that can happen when doctors intubate patients, for example, but that doesn't happen under normal conditions. So doctors are more, more concerned with respiratory droplets from sneezes or cough, which fall to the ground within six feet, hence the rule on social distancing. And then I talked to an aerosol transmission expert. She re recommended staying at least 10 feet away regardless. Um, it's not a bad idea to cross the, cross the street when you see someone, even if it seems unfriendly. Uh, but even if there is some, some respiratory droplets in the air, the idea is that the humidity stops some transmission. UV light could have a, a, some kind of role, although they don't know that exactly. And the wind could blow it around. A new study raises some questions now about the idea that it has to aerosolize. Maybe not, but that study was indoors in a medical facility. So outside still seems safe, but maybe we should all be wearing masks? I mean, it, I think it couldn't hurt to be wearing masks. Um, and we are looking into that study uh, that looked inside a hospital. It's a study, I believe, out of China. Um, and that, that definitely shows that all nurses and doctors should be wearing masks. And Jane Cahoon, you're the statehouse editor. This came up with the governor Monday. The governor said he is worried about people congregating outside when the weather is nice. I think he saw photos of people in close quarters. And so he may have another order to limit that. What's going on? Well, the governor said he's heard concerns about people congregating in parks and other places, you know, as you said, as the weather's getting better. Uh, so he said he's considering another public health order to deal with this. But you know, he, he did note that the state parks are pretty big and, and people should be able to distance themselves from one another. So I guess based on that, I'd be surprised if he closed the state parks, but perhaps he's going to come up with something like that limits the number of people that can be in a park or a public area at the same time. I, I don't know. It's this week in the CLE. Will my insurance make me pay out-of-network prices if the Ohio hospital plan sends me to a hospital that is not in my network during the coronavirus crisis? This is a question that has come up repeatedly from the Cleveland.com audience. And Jane Cahoon, your statehouse reporting team, came up with the answer. Yes, as you might recall, this was a question we raised at a Saturday briefing that DeWine had. And he and uh, health director Amy Acton, they they didn't seem to have the answer, nor did Lieutenant Governor John Houston. Well, it turns out that there's actually an order that the Ohio Department of Insurance issued on March 20th that that says even if you're treated at an out of, out of network hospital, 
under this order, you know, you you can't be um, charged those out of network prices. So Jeremy Pelzer found that order and and uh, wrote a story about that yesterday. What's going to be interesting is whether they adhere to it. We've all been through the hospital insurance nightmare. I mean, they, they, it's just, you go to the hospital once you get 12 bills, they're confusing. You're always wondering about being double billed. This adds a whole new wrinkle. I mean, if I if I'm not in the UH network and I get sent to a UH hospital, they got to collect my data. They got to do all sorts of things. Are they really, you know, going to do this right? Is my insurance company, when they get the bill, really going to to recognize that, oh, this was part of the coronavirus crisis. We have to charge in network. I know everybody's saying the right things. I'll be interested to see how many people we hear from on the other side of this about the, the gouging that goes on. Does anybody yes. does anybody on this podcast have any faith that the insurance companies are going to handle this right? Uh, no. Uh. <laughs> All right. It's this week in the CLE. What is Ohio-based Battelle's plan to speed up coronavirus testing? Battelle has been in the news a lot lately for its technology to sterilize used medical masks and help solve a nationwide mask shortage. But this week it is making news for working with Ohio State University to develop a faster COVID-19 test. Cleveland.com reporter Emily Bamforth got that story. Emily, what did you learn? Uh, it's it's a weird week when this kind of thing gets kind of buried in the news um, because I had to search a little bit around to find this. Uh, but Patel and the Ohio State University um, Wexner Medical Center worked together to develop a new rapid sensitive diagnostic test. Um, we have heard before that at peak, uh, you can get results back at eight hours um, though often it's it's much slower. This they're saying uh, could process tests in as few as five hours, uh, which is a lot faster and will allow us to kind of understand just how much this disease has spread. Uh, but they've been working on this since March 14th. Um, right now they can process about 200 tests per day. They hope to scale this up, opening a new lab and process more than 1000 test swabs per day. Um, currently this is being administered at the Wexner Medical Center. You still have to have a doctor's order to get one of these tests, um, but you're getting them back a whole lot faster. I'm betting there's not an answer to this, but was there anything you saw about the cost of this being more or less than other testing methods? Uh, no, I, I don't have that information, but, um, I want to follow up and see how exactly this works. So, uh, that'll be the first question. Okay. Jane Cahoon, you edit the state house reporters and you know, the background of Battelle. I've been here 24 years and I know almost nothing. What is Battelle? Well, it's a private nonprofit research firm headquartered in Columbus. They've got about 3,200 employees. They, they've been around since 1929. Uh, they, there's a steel. There was a steel industrialist by the name of Gordon Battelle, and he provided for the Battelle Memorial Institute in his 1923 last will and testament. And he really believed in science, research, and innovation. And Battelle, for decades, has served the military, government, private businesses. They've developed technology used by the military to 
protect against biological and chemical hazards. Uh, as you said, they've developed this mask sterilization technology. They've done medical advances like tubing to prevent blood clots. They've worked on nuclear fuel rods, um, armor plating for tanks during World War II. Uh, you, you name it, they've really been on the forefront of innovation. Okay, cool. It's this week in the CLE. All right, before we go, uh, in February, I asked at least two of you uh, if you wanted to wear masks as you went about the world. We already know Jane wants to wear masks, but Emily and Laura, you didn't really have an interest in it in February. Have you changed your minds? Um, yes. Um, I, I'm going to have to give this another one to you that you got right, that I was like, people aren't going to do that. Um we looked at, you know, you look at pictures in Asia and everybody was wearing masks and it just seemed so foreign for our society um, to do that. But um, I watched that video that Jane had sent us um, showing from the Czech Republic and I now found some fabric in my basement. I don't have a sewing machine, but um we're going to, I think they're going to be like a fashion statement, you know, pretty soon. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Am, am I the only one on this call that has a working sewing machine? My mom has a sewing machine, but um, wow. no, I do not have a sewing machine. Well, talk about gender reversal there. Emily, what about you? Mask or no mask? I think that the way that they phrased it in the article that Jane brought up, where they are saying, hey, I'll keep you safe if if you keep me safe and it'll be great and i i feel like i i'm not going to be setting up a mask tree outside of my house anytime soon where people can come grab masks but if this is something that is proactive that i can do sure why not right. i did think that messaging was really effective because it appeals to your better sense of self like this is not for you. It's for, you know, to, to do something to help. And we all feel kind of helpless and anything mm -hmm. you can do that's tactile. I think people are going to gravitate to. Yeah. Okay. It just made sense to me from the start. Okay. We're <laughs> out. Thanks, Laura, Jane, and Emily. And thank you for listening to this week in the CLE, the podcast breakdown of the news by the reporters and editors at cleveland.com. While COVID-19 is out there, we're doing this every weekday. We'll be back with a bunch of new topics Wednesday. Mm -hmm.